Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning needing to hear from you, Lord. Our souls are so hungry, and it's your word that feeds them. Please satisfy the longing of our hearts and give us what we need. Lord, thank you for the scriptures. It's through them that we can know you more. So please, Lord, reveal yourself to us this morning as your word is read and preached. Show us who you truly are. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 149, verses 1 to 4, reads as follows. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Our passage this morning is about the joyful praise we give to God. And specifically, it instructs us to sing to him a new song. But what exactly is this new song? Well, let me first begin with what it isn't. It isn't primarily about creating new music and adding our vocals to it. There's no need to start learning a new instrument, and we don't need to begin singing lessons. I hear that sigh of relief already. Now, some of us may have that gift, and praise God for those of you that do, but you all are the exception rather than the norm. No, our new song can accompany the songs already being sung at church. Your new song is sung as you sing hymns like Amazing Grace and Come Thou Fount, or praise songs like Lord, I Need You, or 10,000 Reasons. Each of us is offering up our new song as we sing worship songs with the rest of the church. So if the new song isn't a new song per se, then what is it? The new song is this, is the singing of the Lord's fame and glory because of who he is and what he does. It's the singing of the Lord's fame and glory because of who he is and what he does. First, we praise the Lord because this is the appropriate response when we recognize who he truly is. Verse 2 says, Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. The Lord is maker, and we praise him with songs because he is. Everything in the universe was made by him. Everything that you see, hear, smell, and taste has God's creative touch. The multitude of stars you see outside at night, the sound of cascading water at Manoa Falls, the smell of a newborn baby, the taste, the taste of fresh mango. Each is the innovative workmanship of the Almighty God, and each can evoke that new song of praise to our Maker. The Lord in His majesty created these stars. This child is the work of his creative hands. The Lord created the heavens and the earth and everything in them in six days. All he had to do is speak, and they existed. When the creation points us back to the creator and says, look, look at who's behind it all, the appropriate response is singing and praise. 
The Lord is also king. He's to be praised for this too. There's nobody or nothing that's over him. The ruler of every nation is under his authority. No matter how fearful people might be of a dictator, their power is nothing when it's compared to the Lord's. Putin started a war with Ukraine. Kim Jong-un continues to threaten nuclear attacks. But their authority and power is nothing compared to our God's. He never answers to them. But one day, they'll have to give an account to God and be judged, as we all will. They'll have to answer their creator. No matter how powerful a leader is on earth, each will have to bow to the king of kings. And we praise God for his other attributes too. We sing our songs to him because he is perfectly loving, good, kind, compassionate, patient. He's just. He's fearfully awesome, gracious, all-knowing, sovereign, tender, and beautiful. And as best as we can, when we look at the Lord in his totality or even in part, as we consider all of who he is and all his attributes, what is the appropriate response? Praise, singing, rejoicing. Praise the God of perfect love. Sing to the kind and compassionate one. Rejoice that the Lord is righteous and just. And as we keep on looking at him, understanding him, relating to him, listening to him, and obeying him, our praise and singing will keep increasing. It will rise and rise for all of eternity because the Lord is infinite. The more we know him, the more we will want to sing his praises. And from who God is flows what he does. And so in addition to singing to the Lord's fame and glory because of who he is, we praise him for what he does. Verse 3 and 4 in our psalm says this, Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. When the writer of our psalm reflects on what the Lord does, he calls to mind two things in verse 4. One, that the Lord takes pleasure in his people. And two, that he rescues them. This is what he means by salvation. He means a rescue from harm or ruin. And for the psalmist, his rescue was from physical death and ruin and harm. His people, the Israelites, are a small country, and they're surrounded by enemies that desire their destruction. Throughout its history, Israel endures attack after attack after attack from countries like the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Philistines. But because of the pleasure he takes in his people, the Lord rescues them from the physical harm and death that knocks at their door. And he does so time and time again. The Lord is their rescuer. And this has been the case ever since the birth of their nation. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Exodus. Because I want to give you a great example of the Lord's rescue and the new song it stirs up. And it could be found in Exodus chapter 15, which is on page 57, if you're using the church's Bible. Exodus 
Exodus chapter 15, and we're just going to be looking at verses 19 to 21. And again, that's on page 57. Exodus 15, 19 to 21 reads as such. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has gloriously triumphed the horse and his rider, he has thrown into the sea. Brothers and sisters, do you see the new song being sung here? God's mighty arm saved the weak Israelites from Pharaoh's army. Imagine the fear and anxiety in their hearts. They saw Pharaoh and his army coming for them, ready to slaughter every man, woman, and child. Death was right before their eyes. They're getting closer, their swords are aimed. They're screaming and yelling for bloodshed. And then, whoosh, the sea caves in and engulfs every single enemy that they had. They're all dead. Miriam sees this and it explodes with visceral praise. Sing to the Lord. Her song, it's short, but it's her new song. Because it follows God's saving act. It's in the assembly of God's people. They're singing, dancing, and instruments. And most importantly, the song is directed to her Savior. Miriam is boasting about the one who rescued her, and she is channeling all her feelings and emotions about her great God into this new song. This is the beginning and one of many times when the Lord came to Israel's rescue. Brothers and sisters, think about those times that the Lord has come to your rescue. Perhaps someone was threatening a lawsuit against you, but the matter was dropped. Your marriage was on the rocks, but now it's restored. Your debt was mounting, but now you're no longer drowning in it. You finally have a job after searching for months. You were enslaved to an addiction, but now you're set free from it. Your wayward child returned home, and now exhibit self-control. In your time of distress, you prayed and trusted and waited and looked to the Lord. The Lord took delight in you and came to your rescue. And how did your heart respond? How does your heart respond to it even now? Was your heart singing the Lord's praises? Is it still rejoicing in your rescuer? When we recognize that it was the Lord's saving work in our lives, then our hearts start singing the new song. I praise you, Lord, for helping me out of debt. Sing to the Lord, for my accuser is gone. This is our appropriate response when we see the Lord's rescue. And it makes sense that we want to broadcast his praise publicly for all that he has done. The Lord has adorned me with salvation. And let's get real. Maybe some of you need the Lord's rescue right now. Harm and ruin are knocking at your door. 
you're having to move and need new housing. Maybe a loved one is ill and the doctors don't know what to do. But you know. Keep praying. Keep trusting him. Keep waiting and keep looking to the Lord. He delights in you, brothers and sisters. He delights in you and in his perfect timing and in his perfect way, he provides his rescue. Just a few days ago, I saw this news report about a man in the Boston area who ran out on a busy interstate highway. He did so to rescue an unconscious driver. He saw them speeding along completely out of control in the left-hand shoulder. So this man pulled over his car onto the right-hand shoulder, ran across the highway, stopping traffic as he went across, mind you. And then, when he reached the car, started banging on its window to try and wake the person up. The man desperately didn't want the person to die. Eventually, another person saw what was going on, called emergency responders, and they were able to get the driver out of the car and into a hospital. Of course, in this day and age, all this was captured on video and posted to the internet. The video of him went viral and he got tons of likes and comments for his bravery. Even his local mayor and a diplomat honored him with a plaque. People really praised this man for what he did. And I think we would all agree it was rightly deserved. This man exhibited bravery and sacrifice. He actually has a wife and kids, but he was willing to sacrifice all that he had in order to rescue and save the unconscious driver. It's appropriate to run this story in the news and broadcast it all over the internet. And I'm sure that the person that was rescued will think about that man for the rest of their life and always be thankful for the action that they took. They would want to be the first in line to praise his bravery. He sacrificed himself and all that he had to save them. Now, if we humans can praise this man's rescue effort, shouldn't we do the same for the Lord's? Our passage cries out with the resounding yes. The Lord deserves tremendous praise for his saving acts. And that is what the church does. We gather and sing and multiply the praises of the Lord for his rescue. And it's not just those acts of salvation in the physical realm that we praise God for, although those are important. But even more so, even infinitely more so, we praise the Lord for our spiritual salvation. That man in Boston prevented a physical death. But God in his great mercy sent his son to rescue us from our spiritual death. It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are saved. We weren't just unconscious, but spiritually dead and speeding down the path that leads to hell. Our end was complete separation from God forever and ever. But then Christ came for us. He came from heaven to earth to rescue us from our spiritual death. And he sacrificed himself to do so giving us his precious life, giving up his precious life and dying a horrible, painful death on a cross, all while taking our punishment for sin. The almighty wrath of God was poured out on him as he took on our penalty. And his sacrifice was accepted. His father's wrath was satisfied. 
sin, death, and Satan were overcome by Jesus Christ, by what he did on the cross. And so on the third day, he was resurrected from the grave. Now he's able to grant the forgiveness of sins that we all need to anybody and everybody that humbles themselves before him. Jesus, I need you to rescue me from this life of sin and death. That is the humble one, and they will be adorned with salvation. Is that you? If not, place your faith in Jesus Christ today, and your rescue will be eternal. Jesus says to all those that see their need of rescue, Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Remain in me now and for all of eternity. And so what is the appropriate response to this? It should be like the response the man received who rescued the unconscious driver, but infinitely more so. The Lord should be praised and what he has done should be broadcasted all over. We should be thanking him every single day for rescuing us from our hopeless situation. And we should be celebrating his rescue. This is what we're doing when we sing to our Lord and give him praise here at church. With our songs, we're proclaiming with our lips, mighty is our God to save. He has saved us from our desperate situation. He has rescued us from sin. Instead of eternal death, you have given us eternal life, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your great work on my behalf. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let this be the backing of the songs you sing to the Lord, brothers and sisters, and you will be singing the new song. Continuing in Psalm 149, I'll be reading verses 5 to 9. Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy in their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Well, this has taken quite the turn, hasn't it? Are we still in the same psalm? Two-edged swords, vengeance on the nations, punishments on the peoples, Kings in chains, nobles in shackles, the execution of judgment. What happened here? Where is the joy and the rejoicing? Is this really part of the new song? I want to argue that it is, and, and here's why. On the flip side of the Lord's rescue is the Lord's defeat of our enemies. When we are rescued, God rescues us from whatever or whoever is trying to bring us harm. Remember, the new song is the singing of the Lord's fame and glory because of who he is and what he does. And this is another thing that the Lord does, brothers and sisters. The Lord is victorious over our enemies. This is what the author is calling to mind in verses 5 to 9. For the psalmist, he knows his enemies are bloodthirsty and willing to kill everyone. He knows that they will march on until all of Israel is destroyed. 
And so the Israelites have to take up arms to protect everyone from being massacred. Because if the enemies are not put down, then their rescue isn't complete. Going back to Exodus and the scene at the Red Sea, if the Lord did not completely wipe out Pharaoh and his army, then I'm pretty sure Miriam would have had a very different response. Instead of belting out a song, she would have probably just kept on running. Even if Pharaoh had been greatly injured, that still meant he could still return another day. But she knew that the Red Sea destroyed every one of the Egyptians and that they could carry on in peace. The same could be said of the psalmist. He's at peace. Why is the author singing for joy on his bed? It's because he knows that the Lord is Israel's Savior. And he knows that the Lord is with them to give them victory over their enemies. When they go out to battle, he knows that the Lord will execute vengeance on the nations, that the Lord will punish their enemies, that the Lord will bind their kings in chains and set shackles on their nobles. He knows that the Lord will execute his judgment on them. Israel's is a vulnerable nation on their own, but in the past, the Lord has provided for their rescue, and the author is confident in the one protecting them. The Lord has never been defeated, and he never will be. To have this peace and no worry about enemy attacks brings the psalmist so much joy, and his appropriate response is to sing and praise to the Holy One, who's giving him all of what he is receiving. Now you might be thinking, how is this related to us? We aren't taking up physical two-edged swords and using them to execute peoples and nations. We aren't binding up leaders in chains or shackles. And we aren't executing judgment on our enemies. We know vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But we are battling against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places every single day. Yes, our warfare is of a different kind. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How do we destroy every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God? And how do we take every captive thought captive to obey Christ? It's via the word of God, which is our sword. And this weapon we have, brothers and sisters, here is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is living and active, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Yes, we're battling every single day, and the Lord is there to rescue us via his word. The schemes of our enemy, which are sin, the world, Satan, and his armies, can't stand up against the Lord. And they are fought by what he's provided us in the scriptures as our minds conform to God's word. So keep battling, brothers and sisters. Keep turning to the Lord in prayer and keep seeking him in his word. We will find victory as we trust in him. 
all this battling will be worth it in the end because the great news, brothers and sisters, is that these last verses in our psalm will become our ultimate reality one day. The Lord's rescue from our enemies will be complete. Christ promises to return. And when he does, our enemies will be defeated once and for all, and we will all be at peace. The world we are longing for is coming into existence. Christ will come and he will reign forevermore. And we will be perfectly safe because our king will be with us. He's going to cast sin, death, and Satan into hell, along with every person that has ever rejected him. If a person doesn't have God's perfect righteousness through Christ, then evil and rebellion exist, and they can and will rear their ugly heads. We can have no peace with these enemies around, but the Lord will do away with all who are against him. Only those on his side will remain. And we will walk the streets of his new creation without a single drop of fear. There will be no murder, theft, massive shootings, terrorist attacks, mobs, lying, war, slavery, abuse, slander, gang violence, genocide, or persecution. God will make his world the way it should be without this evil. Because we'll be perfectly at peace with our God and perfectly at peace with each other. It will all be due to Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who gave himself for us, the one who took away all our sin and rebellion, giving us his righteousness in exchange. And what is it that we'll be doing instead of sinning against the Lord and one another? We get a good view of it in the Bible's last book, Revelation. We'll be singing our praises to our Savior, the one victorious over all his enemies as well as ours. With no lack of energy, no lack of heart, no lack of enthusiasm, without any fatigue or boredom, in all our awe and wonder, with great vigor and excitement, we will be singing the new song to him with all his angels. Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 to, 9, 8 to 10 says this, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then our voices join in with the multitude of angels, starting in verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is what awaits us in our heavenly home, brothers and sisters. Singing the new song to our wonderful Savior forever and ever. What we are doing now at church is what we'll be doing for all of eternity, but without any hindrance and with a joy that we've never experienced. Praise Christ. Let his people be glad. 
May we praise him with our voices and set our feet to dancing. The victory he gives us over sin, death, and Satan is going to last forever. Sing to the Lord, brothers and sisters, because the salvation Christ gives is that great. Sing to the Lord and praise him because he is that great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. He's the reason for our new song. Please, Lord, forgive us for any lackluster praise we give to him. And forgive us for giving the praise you deserve to anything and everything else. Help us to recall your saving work in our lives. We are like the Israelites. You have saved us time and time and time again. May who you are and your great works fuel our praise and worship to you both now and forevermore. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.